0: It says very strong ale on it, so hopefully it's not going to make me start slurring during the podcast. That
1: time. sounds dangerous.
0: Seven and a half percent.
1: Oof. Well, well on those nights I'll that. have to carry you home on my uh, shoulders again. Come on, you know you missed that. Fireman style.
0: Mm. Oh dear, yeah, it is strong. Hmm. Okay, well, drink that slowly. All right, I'm ready.
1: Okay, everyone, welcome back to Tokyo Jazz Joint's podcast. This is, amazingly, episode 16, which we have entitled All the Single Ladies. James, I feel like perhaps you should have played me in with some Beyonce.
0: Uh, I'm sorry, who's that? I thought this was a jazz podcast.
1: <laughs> James, as you know, it's all the same music deep down. That is correct. That is correct. As a a very, very strong advocate of um, the
0: BAM movement in the United States, uh, black American music to encompass all the various genres, um, it is uh, all coming from the same source. That is correct. But I still don't enjoy Beyonce's records. Maybe that's my age talking, but. Quite possibly. How was your week? Uh, Well, let's see. Hot, humid, uh, very humid um excruciatingly humid and um, skyrocketing humid I guess that's the four levels I would I would put it at so you do remember what that was like here we've got six weeks of just um, unbelievable um, unending dampness um, with very high temperatures so it, it can be a bit of a drag um, especially because As we were discussing offline, uh, you know, I'm not making my usual uh, jazz bar or music bar stops on the way home from work, you know, to kind of cool down and have a drink. Um, A lot of places have reopened, but not all of them. Some have opened with, you know, kind of half measures, Um, but I'm still taking it a little bit easy. I want things to to get a little bit more certain before I start hitting the, the jazz joints again.
1: Very wise. I'll never forget the humidity because within the first three or four days, I think of being there, uh, and going to the job that I had originally gone out for which was working as an assistant teacher in a, in a junior high school um, and uh, I had not learned yet at that point to wear an undershirt so I remember very very distinctly <laughs> arriving at the school after about a 20 minute walk and just absolutely dripping with sweat and Worse than that, I was sitting down in the teacher's room, which, of course, was blasted into oblivion by a a cold air conditioner. And as I sat there shivering, uh, the PE teacher, I very distinctly remember, she walked behind me and she stopped and she just went, oh, (laughs) at which point everyone looked around and she pointed out the level of sweat on my back as my Brand new shirt stuck to my back. So, ever since that day, whatever the heat, whatever the humidity, I always wore a vest or a t-shirt under another shirt uh, to make sure that I was never caught out again. So, surely, surely not the last
0: time someone pointed that out about you. But um, yeah, I think we've we've all been there. I I actually came to Japan when, first time was in November, so I you know I had a, quite a few months. Um, but in the summertime, I put away my Kengal hat into the closet. Um, not even thinking about it, when I came back four months later, it was covered in mould. So, Jesus, yeah. man, how old am I? Like, I'm just talking about a Kangol hat
1: that I was going to say, like, I mean, I thought I thought you were going to say you put it in the closet forever, but anyway, <laughs> listen. <laughs> well, no, it was the 90s. Come on, to be fair, you know. <laughs> so, um, this week we're going to talk about, um, we're kind of themed this episode again, and you probably guessed from the title All the Single Ladies, that we're going to focus specifically on the role of women and women owners in, in Jazz Kisa. And again, just for those of you who haven't had the um, privilege to live in Japan and spend some time there, um, it's probably worth just touching on, you know, the general kind of... um landscape as it as it uh, transpires to women and women in the workplace, in particular in Japan. I did a little bit of research just before this episode and found uh, a great website uh, called Catalyst, Cutlass, Catalyst.org, where there's a few stats, because actually, more than I thought, um, over women over 15 in Japan, over 50% of them are actually participating in the workforce in Japan. Uh, but incredibly, uh, or perhaps predictably, if you've lived in Japan, uh, almost 50% of those women are just part-time or temporary workers, and that. That's compared to only 11% of men. And actually, when you get up into the higher echelons of government and, and business in particular, um, I think only 1% um, of senior managers are, in fact, women. So to describe Japan as a patriarchal society is probably a, a massive understatement, wouldn't you?
0: That is, um, yeah, that is 100% correct. I, I mean, I think that, you know, people do often ask, uh, well, you know, why have you stayed in, in, the, in the country for so long, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, you, you have to make your uh, peace with the things that you find objectionable, which you would find anywhere. Um and, and I think, yeah, for me and, and, and definitely many others, the, the the gender imbalance here is one of the one of the more objectional uh, parts of Japan. There's no doubt about it. There's very, very few politicians, as you mentioned, a very few senior business leaders. Um, it's a serious problem. It's a serious problem. And, um, you know, it has gotten a little bit better over the years, uh, even since we first got here, but still a long way to go until we see something like Finland with a, you know, majority female parliament, for example. Um, for,
1: sh- for sure. Yeah. And so, I mean, as that sort of relates to jazz joints. And I suppose in many ways, like jazz culture itself is is fairly male dominated, um, <clears throat> despite, of course, you know, a slew of very famous jazz, uh, predominantly, I suppose, vocalists, certainly. But um, <clears throat> when I presented at the Documenting Jazz 2020 Conference of Birmingham in January, there was a very distinct push from a lot of the presenters to really reassess um, and sort of reinterpret the history of women in jazz in particular, uh, uh, Kristen McGee uh, gave a really powerful presentation um, as one of the keynotes. Uh, and uh, there were many other really interesting um, workshops and, and sort of breakaway groups. And I suppose it got me thinking about, you know, jazz joints. And actually, um, someone raised what the issue in in, in Germany uh Later in January, when I exhibited some of the photos about, you know, where are the women and why haven't you uh, shown any pictures of the women? And actually, uh, probably there I was sort of banged to rights because, of course, there are some portraits of women owners and we're going to go on to discuss a few of those today Uh, but it's certainly much harder to find them and actually after having had that comment and that feedback I went back into the photos and into the archive and what's really interesting I suppose is the absence of women in the photographs in general now I know we've talked a lot about keeping customers out of it but even had I been photographing throughout and including customers uh, I would say uh, even then probably it's fairly unlikely that there would have been too many women Uh, In the frame. So uh, what we've done today is we've picked a few uh, places that are particularly, I suppose, noteworthy because they are, um, for various reasons, uh, run now by female owners. The place we're going to start with um, is Miles, which we have mentioned a few times uh, on the podcast, almost in kind of reverent terms, I suppose. What does Miles conjure up when when you think of the place, James?
0: Well, I mean, Miles is... uh, It's just one of the jazz bars in Japan it's it's located in a in a neighborhood away from a little bit away from the center a couple minutes walk from the train station so it's the kind of place you would walk by on your your way home to a residential you know house or apartment um, it's up some rickety stairs it is smaller than uh, a lot of walk-in closets that you'd find in the United States um, <laughs> it is completely packed with records and tons and tons of just new Knacks everywhere. Um, I think we've mentioned before my unfortunate habit of knocking things over. Um, the first time I went to Miles, which would have been a couple years, I think, before uh, you and I went together, Philip, but um, I happened to knock over a bottle keep that was on the counter. Thankfully, it, it did not break. But that was my my first entry into the bar. So you can imagine the absolute horror on my face of not only being the, you know, intrusive gaijin, uh, but knocking things over. Uh, but it's cramped. Uh, it's really really cramped. But it's lovely. It's it's completely completely like going back to. I wouldn't even say the 60s. I'd say that it feels like the 50s in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was really interesting because you know I had heard little bits and pieces about. It from people once i had started my website in 2007 and you know people um had heard about it and they would say well james you know from what you've described of the places you like this is a one that you have to get to um but it, there was a bit of an adventure about it i think we've talked about that the owner of miles is indeterminate age but i, I would guess in her early 80s
1: by now what would you say <laughs> I don't know if she'd be quite that old, but certainly she'd be in her seventies. I would have thought just from, from you know, the the couple of encounters that we had with her. But I, I know we we kind of referenced this. I think perhaps even in the first episode. But I have this distinct memory, as I mentioned before, of us going the first time and finding it closed. And I do remember whether it was with you or or going on another occasion, as I was passing just to check myself of uh, there being a, just a little um just a little crack in the curtains in the in the room downstairs below so you go upstairs to miles and downstairs is below and i remember just looking through there and it's very clearly uh, a sort of traditional japanese style living quarters with the you know sliding uh, Shoji doors and so on. And I saw this woman uh, and I remember that we at the time we'd heard this rumor that she had been unwell. And so I guessed, obviously, she's well enough to be at home, but clearly not well enough to to open up the place. So when we and I, at that point of the project, I think we were pretty concerned that maybe we'd already missed our our chance to get to Miles and, and photograph it.
0: We were. We were because I, I remember telling you how great it was. Um, no, but had you not been there on your own, though, before
1: we went no, I went a few times after, but I'd not been there okay. on my own. it was uh, it was after.
0: Okay, yeah. So we definitely, yeah, we definitely ran into some closed doors the first time. And uh, no, it wasn't a rumor at all. I mean, she she was she was hospitalized um, for several months, and I think the word from. Some of the regular customers and, you know, the people who we follow online who write in Japanese about this jazz kisaten and jazz bar world uh, had pretty much said stuff like, wow, you know, that's not opening again, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so it was a real one of those kind of, like, oh, you know, we missed our we missed a chance. And uh, amazingly, um, she recovered enough to, to reopen the place. Um, and I think, as we did mention on episode one, uh, she's one of the few people who refused or declined uh our our you know our request to take a picture of her um but it was solely out of her sort of uh i guess shyness of her condition she was clearly unwell she moved very slow um it didn't look like her her balance was that great and i was thinking i don't see how she can possibly run this place for much longer by herself without any help we knew that uh, she was a widow uh her hus her and her husband ran it for many years, but I think he died fairly young. I think he died in the late nineteen eighties. So more than 30 years ago. Okay. Um, so she's been running it pretty much by herself since then. Um, don't believe that there's any children. So it's one of these places that, um, you know, unless like Chigusa, which we spoke of last week, which had the sort yeah. of appreciation society. But Miles is not that kind of place. I, very unlikely there would be a large group of people willing to, to put the money in to keep it open. Um, so I, I would guess that it's got a couple
1: years left at best. It's a little tricky as well to... Um, Discern. I mean, we there's a certain mystique about it, I think, maybe perhaps, I don't know if we've projected some of that on it, but certainly even just from the the sign that you see outside there, there's really no indication, certainly in English, that it's uh, a jazz bar. It does say uh, Miles, is the, the vertical text is Miles, and then obviously it's offering jazz and coffee, and the Kirin uh, beer is fairly self-explanatory, but um, we think, don't we, that it's probably the oldest place left now in Tokyo,
0: uh, yes, it is. Uh, well, no. Other than Charmont, Yeah, Charmont is still yeah. older. Yeah, yeah. Charmont's older. But but as a cafe, because well, you mentioned the sign, which is which is important because it does say in Japanese, jazz and coffee. Because yeah. Miles used to open as a, a kisaten as a cafe. Yeah. For many decades, uh, but I think uh, after her husband died and she got a little bit older, I heard it was sometime in the late nineties that she started um, just opening at night. To keep our okay. time. Mm-hmm. So basically like six to 10, six to 11, um, pretty short hours, you know, four or five nights a week. Uh, yeah. But the sign was the original one. So it was, it was one of those places open from, you know, 1130 or 12 until midnight. I mean, imagine going into there for a coffee at like two in the afternoon. I mean, that would be pretty, <laughs> pretty oppressive, you know.
1: Well, I mean, going at night, I mean, again, we've we've talked a lot about how cramped and, and claustrophobic these spaces uh, can be. And certainly if that's not your thing, um, there's certain ones that are probably worth avoiding, particularly if you're not uh, particularly keen on smoking indoors. But I certainly remember, you know, there was a few customers there. We sat a little table off uh, just the corner of the stairs, um, not at the main counter. And. You know there were people in there smoking, and it is a very intense atmosphere. You can see as well from if you're looking at the photographs now, which we'd encourage you to do. You can find it at tokyojazzjoints.com uh, and if you go to the Miles page, which is under the under one of the Tokyo uh, sections, um, it's not. There's there's very little to suggest coffee shop these days. It's fairly uh, heavy on the vodka gin. Uh, and bourbon along the counter as well. This place really kind of, it was one of the very early places that we photographed. And I think for me, you know, particularly when I first printed some of these photographs and and exhibited them, um, the Clifford Brown, I mean, I'm a fan of Clifford Brown's music, but I just, there's something about those... um, the red flowers and that uh, Clifford Brown album with just the little hint of red down the the right hand side of the sleeve that I that I always love uh, as a photograph and I, I'm always really pleased that I was able to to capture that one. But the whole place itself had that very kind of red, orangey, cozy, kind of relaxing sort of vibe, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it did. It, you know, it had the, the old jazz magazines, um, a, a lot of random newspapers that maybe people just left. Uh, clearly not a place that was clean very often. Um, I was just double checking my notes. Miles actually opened before we uh, we thought. It opened in 1960. So okay. you know that's incredible. Sixty years, uh, which would make it now that Masako closed and Shimogitazawa would make it the second oldest after Sharma. Um And it, it's interesting because um, I never caught uh, the owner's um, the owner's name. I have in my notes. I have Motoyamasan. Uh, but I've seen somewhere else people refer to her by a different name. So it could be maybe her maiden name or her ma- We we It's a little bit of a mystery. Um, but it but, but what's interesting is that she's one of these sort of institutions for jazz cafe geeks like us. Um, anyone that I've talked to or even just read their their blog posts or, or tweets about going to jazz cafes always talk about the lady from Miles. How is she doing? Is she okay? Is the place mm. still open? So it, it's definitely a spot. That um, even though it is in a, in a sort of smallest station, a little bit away from Shinjuku, um, it's a place that anyone who has Jazz Kisaten on their radar um, has either been or is planning to go. I've actually read a lot of tweets sometimes in Japanese of people who've, like us, who've gone by and found that it wasn't open you know for one reason And I suppose it's
1: no. a, it's ironic I suppose as well I mean again I did ask her if she would be photographed and I do I remember very distinctly her saying oh no no you know why would you want someone sort of ugly like me in a photograph and again you know just coming back to the theme even though there's um you know a, a woman owner running this fantastic place there is that throughout Japanese culture, not just for men, but uh, for women, but for men as well, this kind of, I suppose, humility uh, and this sort of embarrassment in terms of being highlighted or or sort of pushed into the limelight. And I think particularly that's even stronger um, for women a lot of the time. And so it, it was a very predictable reaction, I suppose, in some ways that she didn't want to be photographed. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, it, it's a shame just from a purely documentary point of view, because obviously um, it, it's really important to highlight that, you know, albeit Japanese, and these spaces themselves are predominantly male spaces, still, um, you know, there are these women who are just flying the flag, whether it's by design or whether it's just by circumstances uh, for women and, and, you know, running just these... Incredibly um, amazing and atmospheric places. And again, it's probably just worth mentioning, uh, as always, Miles uh, has reappeared on the walls there, uh, as we can <laughs> see from the photographs. It's that's a poster that uh, of which there are many. Uh, that's one of the posters that's on the stair. Well, as, as you're that's coming one, down, that's
0: the one I've mentioned a few times. That I that I was so um, so in love with. I just wanted to. To rip it down and bring it home with me.
1: Um, yeah, it's funny, isn't uh, it, when you look at the prices too? Because I mean, obviously, the, the value of the yen has changed, but uh, yeah. not dissimilar to prices you'd you'd pay nowadays. And actually, if you zoom right in on the Japanese, there, I noticed that it's it's also not only sponsored by Swing Journal, but also by the American Embassy. Would you believe so?
0: But back when they cared about culture,
1: that's, isn't that uh, amazing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's certainly a long time ago, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so um, moving from Miles, and in many ways to a very, I suppose, quite similar in feel, um, and and my neighbourhood for many years, the, the my beloved Shimokitazawa, which I think uh, is increasingly become unrecognisable from what it was. But certainly back in the day, it was a very, in the '60s, it would have been a very bohemian uh, neighbourhood. It would have had a lot of families. Uh, a lot of students as well, and there are various other little um, subcultures there. There certainly was for many years a, a very strong punk uh, scene. Um, also, even a sort of an off-Broadway type theatre scene as well, oh, which that, I know certainly still exists. Oh, that's what
0: I was going to say. Yeah, definitely. There, there, and there's still a little bit of remnants of that Um mm-hmm. There's some, there's some small, you know, independent theaters. Um, definitely, there was a punk scene, a heavy metal scene as well. And I think one of the heavy metal bars is still open. Um, yeah, a, a great neighborhood, despite it being quite changed and commercialized in in the way that all parts of tokyo do get over time um but yeah posy which if i remember was very very close to your apartment right
1: it was a stone's throw away and just before hmm. we get on to Posey, james in the spirit of sh- shameless self-promotion um if you're interested in looking at some photos of Shimokitazawa, i did a series actually <laughs> on my own website um called sfc and and the idea was i suppose was again just to document Shimokitazawa before it kind of changed uh, forever really and there there are still a lot of jazz joint style places albeit they're not necessarily based around music or, or jazz um, that do still exist but increasingly they're being edged out and places are moving further and further and to neighboring uh, stations as well so by all mm. means have a uh, check those out on my website philiparneal.com. But but yeahposing R- Arneal with a 1l and two E's correct hilarious yeah um, yes y- you know you know you know how to get my back Back up. listen um posy yeah it was just around the corner right directly uh, opposite Bamiyan uh, chinese family restaurant mm. <laughs> yes definitely
0: one we will not be taking pictures of um posy is incredible what else can you say about it it it's um it's got that combination of intimacy Um, It's obviously got the jazz feel just from the sign where you see that beautiful sign up front. Um, What I found a little curious about Posey, though, was do you remember how uncomfortable the seats were? Maybe it's just because we're a little taller than the average Japanese person, but they had these really, really low, lovely wooden sort of stools, almost looked hand-carved, but they were really impossible to sit on for more than at least a half an hour for me. I, I don't know whether that was... Uh, On purpose design choice, but that's something I always remember from Posey because uh, leaving there after two hours or so, I I had terrible pain in my legs and back. Um, So I suspect that's
1: more. I suspect that's more just um, clumsy, uh, badly postured gaijin. I would say. I mean, I imagine. Uh, It's not designed to get people out, but I do remember it being quite uncomfortable. Um, And certainly I remember going in another evening on the way home for a nightcap with uh, my friend Tom and it was quite cold as well. And I remember us just sitting there um, having, I think it was only like, a it was just a whiskey, like a straight whiskey. There wasn't a lot in terms of choice. We had a straight whiskey. Uh, It was very cold and uncomfortable and so much so that she sort of plugged in a little... Uh, three-bar electric heater and oh. kind of came and sat it beside her <laughs> you, you've, you,
0: you've got a picture of one of the standing heaters, yeah, because I remember that, too, one night when I was there, how freezing it was. And then she plugged the heater in, and I was like, okay, well, I don't think that's going to do much. Um, but, um, but I mean, in any case, you, can, you, you your picture that includes the heater um, really captured the, the beautiful aspect of Posey, is the, the sort of wooden... The, the walls, the wooden decor, um, the amazing photos and autographs that she has all along yeah. the left side. And when I did speak with uh, Misha, the owner, she um, interestingly, you know, we've talked about how some jazz bar owners never leave because they've run their place every day of the year for the most part and never made enough money to travel but interestingly enough Misa-san uh, has been to Europe um, over 25 times I think she said uh, attending various festivals including Montreux, a regular visit to the Montreux Jazz Festival mm. now a little bit of a mystery because we know that she has a daughter, the daughter actually did her website and emailed me when they, they changed the address um, and, and I've met the daughter running the bar sometimes, there was never any mention of a husband or father um, maybe he had a straight job which is possible though unusual because we usually see these places run by couples you know it's not usually the wife running it while the man's doing another job um, but no mention of him and and no real explanation as to how she could run this tiny little bar which was located in Shimokita f- since 1973 uh, before the area would have been very built up or prosperous, how was she affording to fly to the Montreux Jazz Festival?
1: Yeah, um, we should we should probably explain as well. You know, like uh, predominantly, and this is not a uh, this is not a. A sort of um, chauvinistic assumption by any means, you know, the majority of places that we've come across, certainly in our travels, that are run by women are, are it's by default and circumstance i.e. Uh, the owner was previously their husband uh, who has passed away uh, and they have taken it over out of uh, economic necessity, out of respect for him, uh, out of something to do. And certainly you can often see uh, in, in these places, um, if you look carefully, somewhere around there's a sort of a memorial photograph uh, of the husband that originally opened uh, and owned the place. But it's kind of noticeable by its absence in posey uh, and what you have instead, of course, is that gorgeous portrait of Misha-san, uh, which sits on top of the piano, uh, where she just looks absolutely stunning next to that um, the sort of uh, circle of, of uh, messages that's uh, off to the left of it. I mean, it's just a gorgeous looking portrait. Uh, it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, everything about the place is, is um, you know, because we've, we've talked so many times about um, the rusticness and the the sort of dustiness, and and we really enjoy that atmosphere in in the old jazz cafes and bars, um, but Posy is not like that. Posey is looks very aesthetically. Um, uh, designed, the, ev- the way everything is arranged, even to the the poster of Bill Evans that you can see sort of in the archway towards the back where the bathroom and the records are. You mm-hmm. know, everything looks um, perfectly in place, and and the sign, the sign outside is, is is just is just gorgeous. Even down to the font of the sign um, has been carefully uh, chosen, um, and it's just it's just a, a wonderful spot. I mean, and the music is always great. She's got a great collection, like all these bars do. Um, recent word is that, uh, you know, she, her health is good, uh, but she has gotten quite a bit older. She does not uh, show up behind the bar every night of the week now. I think it's split between the daughter and some part time staff, um, but there's no plans to close it. And uh, yeah, it'll just be a couple years till it'll be 50 years old. So hopefully, uh, Philip, you can come back and we can go have a celebratory drink there
1: for some jazz and relaxing. As the sign advertised. I mean, you know, I, I think wanted to s- ask you about Algonquin's next door. I've never been in that joint. Is that a bar or live house? That I'm not sure. Uh, I think it's a bar, actually. Yeah, I don't think mm. I ever went in there, but because um, mm. I mean, as as we know, it's a, it's a wealth of riches in Shimukita. But I mean, I think what's <laughs> what's interesting is you know, I I, can, I think. Either the night that we went in um, or the night that I was in on a on a different occasion, um, without a doubt, one of those evenings I got to press that bell. And I think, again, that's just probably hard to imagine if you haven't lived in Japan, like somewhere here in Dublin, for example, the idea that you would go in or somewhere would just be open to the public. Uh, and you would be trusted just to push a bell to, to get someone to come out because actually uh, the owner lives out the back or there's certainly like living quarters out the back there so I do remember pressing that doorbell and then you know a, a few seconds later she kind of emerged slowly and and um, was very much in a state of sort of like I'm, I'm at home relaxing um, I'll just nip out here and get you a drink and, and you know hopefully yeah. you won't be here too long because I'd like I'd quite like to Go and finish the show that I was watching. So, you know, it just—it's a very homely kind of vibe in that sense. And again, hard to imagine in in other places. But um, I
0: I totally remember pushing the bell as well when I went there. there even yeah. though even though I could hear her like behind the bar somewhere, but I just wanted to press it. Um, yeah, that's that's such a that's such a very Japanese thing. What you just described with the, the you know the sort of living quarters in the back. Um, again, and, I think
1: you know you know just if you look carefully and you may not spot it, but certainly if you're looking at the photographs, you'll see the photograph that James mentioned of Bill Evans sort of um, framed in this uh, kind of reverential way in the, in the archway uh, towards the toilet. And then there's this kind of um, dried uh, bouquet of flowers hanging above his head. But actually, there's another photograph that that features in, which is where you can see the heater. And if you do look carefully, you can just see Misha-san's head popping up above Um, the bottles and things on the counter and again I suppose in some ways that's kind of what I was talking about earlier it's almost um, an analogy for women owners you know even though this place again owned by a woman uh, owner uh, not keen to be photographed, uh, very much sort of in the background uh, and hidden behind various things there and and not wanting particularly any kind of attention or to be sort of lauded or highlighted in any way. Um, and, you know, I just thought that was kind of interesting as I was going through photos and, and thinking, OK, you know, what places have we had? Um, that are are, are run um, by women. And if you take a walk for about 10 minutes in the same neighbourhood up uh, towards Ikenue Station, and I know you haven't been here yet, James, but I nipped in here um, when I was hey. back um, about a year ago. Um, as I, a couple of friends that I had worked with were regulars there, and and had um, had a few jam sessions and so on, is a place called Mantoya, and I mean you couldn't probably find a, a, a different owner than than uh, Misha San of Posey. I mean she is you know, the life and soul of the party, very gregarious. It was chats all the way. It was like, what can I get you? She was whipping out different dishes of food and and giving me all sorts of stuff. Um, And again, you know, uh, very much of its time, I can see that place, you know, 50 years ago, uh, probably populated predominantly by students. Uh, She said that herself, you know, it, at the time, it would have been a place where students would have come and sat had a coffee. Uh, certainly, if they were into music, they'd come there and jam and and now it's it's I suppose just a neighborhood drinking place now, but there still is a jazz theme and certainly it's maybe not as classically jazz kisa. Uh, as some of the places that we've visited, but certainly uh, it fits within the parameters of the project and, and another interesting place. If you do live in that area, worth checking out as well. You can't yeah, see I'm any glad, photographs on I'm the glad site you yet. i got to go there.
0: It's, it's one of those places that just, you know, sometimes a, a joint will just fall through the cracks and and I never made it. And, uh, you know, hopefully I will be able to get there once once we open up fully here. Um, I wanted to ask you a quick, quick question about that, though. It, it, it's interesting because we, we were discussing how the circumstances where these women have taken over the bars um and you mentioned the sort of different character between the lady that runs mentoya versus you know misa-san at Posey. um i, I remember talking to uh a, an older japanese guy once in a jazz bar and, and we were kind of getting on this topic and i asked him uh, you know i said well you know when Japan, maybe before the bubble era in the eighties, when things could be a little bit rougher, a little bit more violence at night, et cetera, et cetera, um, you know, how was it for the women who ran these bars? You know, uh, if they were on their own, and he said, "Oh, there's no problem." Like you know, all of the the humbleness and the sort of shyness that you that you mentioned about the photographs and stuff. He's like, um, "These ladies have, have been working in 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 what they call, uh, you know." The night world in japan Mm, their whole lives um they know how to take care of themselves yeah and they know how to handle the drunk aggressive uh you know male customers of which you're going to have a certain amount even in a jazz bar um sometimes um and and he said that that pretty much they know how to take care of themselves and if there was a situation where they Perhaps were are in some trouble. Um, you have to remember that most of their customers are regulars. You know, probably a good 75% of the customers in almost all of the places that we have visited are regular customers. So they've established this relationship over the years and would be very very protective if there were some sort of aggression going on um, and yeah. I thought that that was really interesting because you know you, you know we we've talked before you know in, J- in Japanese society uh, people tend to keep a lot of their emotions in um, but these are bars and people are drinking and sometimes you know that the anger or whatever can come out um, but uh, this this guy happened to assure me that you know look you know it, it Pretty much, he has not heard of any incidences where there's been major, major issues. And I was really happy to hear that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it sort of reflects that, that wider thing in Japan, doesn't it, of the, there's a an incredible tolerance and forgiveness for drunken behaviour. Uh, and anyone, again, who's who's been on dreaded office uh, enkais, where you're expected to drink and keep up with your co-workers and, and all that kind of thing, um, will have probably witnessed all sorts of things on those evenings, which then, when you go into work the next day, are literally never discussed. And you start almost questioning if you're going mad and these things didn't actually happen. And so there is very much... Uh, uh, an acceptance of certain behaviours. And that's not to say that those behaviours are right, um, but certainly there is uh, the idea that, you know, this is happening because someone's drunk and and the next day it's sort of done and it's forgotten with um, as well. So um, I think that, you know, that it doesn't surprise me to hear that, I suppose, Um anyway so let's um let's move on um, we've um, we're gonna go away from that neighborhood now we've generally been uh, in that same kind of area of Setagayaku. Um I remember the next place uh, and we've had um, one listener in particular who is a particular fan of uh, Garo now I remember traveling to this one on my own um, but it being a fair it felt quite far away but maybe I just couldn't be bothered going out that day i don't know it's within the no it's 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 far it's far and it's far it, it's, right yeah uh, i thought it's, so yeah
0: it's in a, it's in a station um where you get off called which is about 20 minutes west of shinjuku but it feels a good hour away um and it's really interesting because you walk out of the station and around the station is your usual chain department stores and fast food joints you walk around 10 minutes um under a highway and you just come to these I, I, I don't even know how to describe it i mean these like i do cor- it's a shack. corrugated iron shacks yeah <laughs> I, mean, I mean it's there's,
1: just there's, there's no other word for it it's literally a shack i mean and there's nothing around it i mean you see i haven't framed this photograph if you're looking at the website i haven't framed this photograph of the exterior uh, to reflect you know to to tell a particular story that is literally what is there and Almost everything around it is new development, uh, concrete, apartments, uh, you know, suburban family houses. And then just there in the middle, you've got this tiny strip of what can only be described as corrugated iron shacks.
0: And I mean, look at the look at the sign, man. <laughs> look at the sign above the door. You can't even read it. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. completely, it, it's 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 insane. And then I mean, so when I went there, and we did go there separately, I believe I went there first, and then just texted you grab your camera. You must go tomorrow immediately. Um, yeah. And I think you might have gone with uh, with your wife. If, if No, I went I on my own that day, actually. Because when,
1: okay. when I arrived, um, the owner, again, um, we think certainly um, run by this lady that you can see in the photograph. It looks the way that she's sitting, uh, that she's a customer. But in actual fact, uh, she was the owner. And when I came in, she was sat in that exact same position, playing Patience. Uh, and she kind of looked at me, looked back at the game, looked back at me and thought, huh. And then she started to sort of tidy up the patience game. And I was kind of awkwardly saying, no, no, don't worry, please. Just, I'm just here for a drink. And, and She's anyway, probably so thinking,
0: she, oh, God, another one of these Western guys? I, mean, I like, just had to talk to this days. dude for like happened? two hours yesterday. And he kept asking me all these questions. <laughs> Why do they keep coming here? Yeah, Oh, no, yeah. But it, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, as soon as I walked in there, I was just like, I, I had the biggest smile on my face. I mean... Everything about Garo is just incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. even down to the Ritz crackers on the
1: counter. It's just, it's just stupendous. Well, I um, remember certainly um, ordering a drink. And I mean, it was about four in the afternoon. And I remember looking at the menu and I use menu, the term menu in the loosest sense of the word. Uh, and it said gin or whiskey. So I (laughs) said, oh, I mean, it was four in the afternoon. So I thought, well, you know, so I said, oh, could I have a gin and tonic? And she just looked at me and went, we don't have any tonic. And I thought, OK, well, if i am got to choose between straight gin and straight whiskey, I'll, I'll, I'll go for a whiskey. <laughs> so I sat there on my own. Uh, she sat there as well, didn't resume the game of patience. So we just kind of sat there fairly awkwardly in that space together. I think I must have chatted to her slightly. Um, and obviously, as, as usual, I would ask her if I could take some pictures. But I really just basically sat there. Uh, we sat there in silence, uh, me drinking straight whiskey at four in the afternoon, her thinking, when can I play this game of patience again? And then the silence was sort of broken by another customer coming in who sat um, at the counter there, and happily, by that point i'd already photographed the place but um I mean unmissable if you get the chance to go to Garrow, just unmissable oh, it's, experience. it's
0: absolutely nuts and, and you know i'm glad that you got a picture of, of the so towards the the back away from the opposite side of the bar, where you can see the air conditioner unit um and 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 a heater and a clock on a sort of a, a chest of drawers. And all the stuff that's on there is stuff that you would see in somebody's house. I mean like little notepads and yeah. diaries and files, mail, old mail, envelopes, like you can see like the bug spray and the cleanser. It's all just kind of haphazardly put there. And I got the feeling that, you know, that they were there pretty much all day, so it almost functioned as their living room. I think you so, know, yeah. I that think they so, just yeah. happened to sleep in a separate location, but this is where they were all day. And, um, you know, again, I didn't catch the the full story, but when I was there, um, the lady um, was behind the counter, and she was getting a record. And then a guy came in, and this would have been about maybe 6 o'clock. And he immediately sat down and loosened his tie And she just started making him a drink and then addressed him very casually uh, in a way that you wouldn't normally do to a customer. So I just assumed right away, oh, that's her husband, you know, and he just came back from work or something. But there was something strange about it. I mean, they're quite older. He could still be working in a company, it's possible, um, maybe as an you know a part-time
1: job, who knows. Well, um, I mean, so many men are, are going back to work, aren't they, particularly when they retire. I mean, they just have nothing to do and a lot of them are yeah. being rehired at sort of half the pay rate. Uh, and working into but their seventies, but usually 70s, you, would, you, know? you
0: would think that he would have been the guy that you know, as we've seen in other other patterns elsewhere, that he would have been the one running the bar. But, but it never came clear whether he was uh, her husband or just a longtime regular customer. I mean, yeah. it, needless to say, needless to say, other than us, people don't just wand, wander randomly into Garrow. I mean, yeah. like I don't think that they would have a a new customer in the last ten years. You know?
1: Well, no, and there's really nothing around. I mean, just going back to what I was saying earlier about the surrounding architecture, if you look at the final photograph in the set of the Coca-Cola sign um, on the top of the building, I mean, you can see just in the background this huge white, uh, very, you know, Japanese-style apartment block that's been built towering mm. over this tiny place. And, you know, obviously looking from the front, you know, you've got this sort of corrugated iron shack that's all rusted and then you have the, all these new developments. So... It's not even like it, it. It's in a section of shops or in a show guy. I mean, it's really just out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, uh, we can't we can't leave Garo until I talk about the bathroom. Um, well, you promised that earlier, so yeah, let's, let's, let's hear it.
0: <laughs> people who have people who are listening who have drunk uh, with 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 you and me before philip probably know that that when i booze it up i i do make frequent visits uh, to the facilities relentless uh, relentless it's it's a rather un, un, uncomfortable uh topic but uh, i'm open about it so uh of needless to say i killed uh, a bottle of Sapporo, and i wanted to have another one because i was enjoying Garrow so much and I, I i finally said to her okay you know can I use the, the bathroom? And she just pointed behind me. And I was sitting right where she was in, in the picture you took. And so I turned around and you in your photo facing the back of the joint, you can just see the door, that little red, the red door with, yeah, the, yeah, with the door. Yeah. The bathroom was, I think we talked on a, a couple of episodes ago, how, how these bathrooms and the jazz bars can be the size of like an airplane toilet, you know, and sometimes even smaller in the golden guy. Well, this one was like that. Um, But what was interesting was that she had taken the old Japanese squat-style toilet and had put in a Western-style one, but in a space that clearly did not have enough width to have this toilet in there. So when you were there trying to use it, standing, your whole entire body was touching the wall and the toilet unit at the same time with no ability to move. I've I've never experienced anything as odd as that. And I actually asked her, and she she went on a long soliloquy about the bathroom. She's like, "Well, you know, we Japanese, you know, we use the old squat style, but young people they just don't know what to do. So I had to put in a Western style toilet." And I was like, oh, "Okay, that makes a lot of sense." And then I thought to myself, "Wait a second, how many young people are coming to drink at Garrow?"
1: Like yeah, that,
0: yeah, that 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 comment made no sense whatsoever. Upon reflecting, you know what I
1: mean. Well, I mean, it could be uh, she maybe means relatively uh, compared to her, I suppose, because again, she's probably, I'm guessing, in late sixties, early seventies. So well, easily, um,
0: easily, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I was I was as much as I loved Garrow. One of the biggest things about it was was uh, spending way too much time pondering the the the
1: mystery of the the Western toilet in the Japanese narrow style bathroom unit. I must uh, search through my phone I'm sure. Uh I mean very much what you're describing really is is a an economy class air, airplane bathroom but um I uh must go through my phone and see if I can unearth any photographs from the the bathroom because as I've said in previous episodes um I never go to the bathroom without my camera. That sounds really bad. I hope no one takes that out of context and uh, turns it into a meme. Anyway, um so just to um Just to finish up, um, and and very much um, last, but definitely, definitely not least, um, is Uncle Tom. So those of you who are listening and familiar with that terminology probably uh, may already uh, be pricking up your ears at the slightly problematic nature, perhaps, of the name. Uh, And so we will go into that um, in a moment, but certainly it's probably worth just having a look at the place first. And again, this place, I mean, just to give you an idea of, you know, certainly if if you were living somewhere like Dublin, even London, possibly even New York, you know, you might have two or three of these places that you would recommend to people. But again, it's staggering always just how many of these places exist. This one just happened to be, I would say, within two to three minutes walk of the school that I was working in for many years and um, had been there much longer than the school had been, certainly. But again, an absolutely incredible place uh, to which we've been a few times um, both together and individually and again run by a very distinctive and and very photogenic owner um, who I was lucky enough to photograph and who uh, partly to her knowledge but perhaps not the extent uh, has also featured in a couple of magazines uh, in the Hudson Valley when the exhibition was being advertised in New York State. She's been on a postcard um, and I think as well that photograph has been published in a couple of other places as well. So, you know, in her own way, she's a bit of a superstar around the world, but certainly <laughs> uh, a superstar owner as far as we're concerned. Wonderful lady. And I'll never forget just the religious... Um, pageantry which accompanied her making two gin and tonics i mean i've never seen anything quite like it it was like a religious ritual and we just my friend and i just sat uh, absolutely gobsmacked just watching this beautiful drink unfold uh, i mean it was a thing of beauty but uh, what a place uncle tom
0: yeah it's it's a lovely neighborhood bar and um i mean i think i think we we have to address the name immediately just because it is quite shocking especially for For Americans, um, no clear explanation as to how uh, they came up with it. But what was very interesting is, um, yet again, uh, the lovely owner is a widow. Um, As you mentioned before, she's got a a nice picture of her husband uh, behind the bar and um an even more for me uh, amazing picture uh, of her husband and herself with David Murray the American saxophone player uh, when he was on one of his Japan tours and i so i asked about that and i said oh you you met david murray and she's like oh yeah you know my husband had a lot of his records and um so you know we went there and we told him we ran a jazz bar and eventually like he came by with with some of his uh japanese you know bandmates and they had some drinks we were able to take pictures and it was really great and so i was thinking to myself okay david murray who in his career, um, has been very you know outspoken about uh, the the history of, of Black American people in the U.S. Um, and and the oppression, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and has reflected that in his music as well, not just in his interviews. And he went in and and had a great night in a bar called Uncle Tom, which was extremely curious for me. And and I could only assume that um, like other musicians I've spoken to about these things, they, they would have, they would have thought that, well, the Japanese don't know the significance of the term, you know?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a little bit of think of, I had a little bit of a think about this myself, actually, because I just wanted to get my facts straight. And obviously, you know, it comes from, and I think there is somewhere an explicit reference to uncle Tom's cabin, the, the novel, um, by Harriet Beecher Stowe. And, you know, that novel in itself was actually an anti-slavery novel. Now, whether you think it was a good novel or not, I suppose is a separate issue. And I know James Baldwin described it um, after the war as a very bad novel. But I mean, it was in its tone and its messaging very much uh, anti-slavery. But I suppose one of the side effects of it was it did create these kind of um, stereotypes of African-Americans like the dark-skinned mammy and so on and so forth, which then obviously became popularised through minstrel culture and all these kind of things. So I suspect perhaps the the motivation of the name was, you know, some kind of um, nod towards this sort of... uh, Inclusive anti-slavery message, perhaps at least in the motivation for it, but then obviously the term mm. itself, as we know, mm-hmm. has become associated with, you know, a, as a sort of a, a slur uh, amongst African Americans, uh, you know, in terms oh, of completely,
0: of, completely, and 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 it's very
1: possible
0: that that uh, her and her husband, not speaking English, would have had no idea of the modern usage of the term and how it it is. Um, among Black Americans, uh, one of the one of the most vicious slurs that you can use. Mm, oh, um, certainly. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I would be I'd be highly shocked if they did not know that or understood it. Um, but you know that that does lead into many other questions, which you know I, I think we will address on a, a, a later podcast where we talk more about sort of the cultural things and aspects of jazz. But you know, I, I think we've talked before. You know, I've seen in soul music bars. Um, with the places decked out with, you know, soul music albums and posters um, and little dolls of, you know, blackface, for example.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's not uncommon to see those, is it? And I think, you know, just at a wider level in Japan, I mean, you know, for sure, a lot of the racism um, that maybe... uh, people come across often comes from a place of either curiosity or just ignorance and that in in no way is that an excuse for it um, Mm. or for a lack of of understanding or education Mm. but I mean I think You know, in a a longer historical context, you know, you have to understand as well that Japan was closed for for 250 years to any kind of uh, meaningful immigration. And and even now, really, is very much um, at most, you know, there's there's, um, a level of, I suppose, Korean and Chinese immigration in particular, and then other nationalities to a much uh, smaller degree. So, it doesn't excuse it at all, but often um, perhaps it, it, exp- the- it
0: explains it, and and also it you know it, it brings to, brings to my bringing back to the to the jazz angle, um, you know jazz uh, and as I've mentioned before, baseball for example, uh, the prototypical great American inventions uh, were brought into the country, and um, unfortunately, and as great wonderful things. Unfortunately, um, America's uh, most uh, most horrible (laughs) uh, contribution, which was the you know the 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 legacy of racism and slavery, a lot of those racial attitudes were also brought into the country. Uh, So sometimes you will hear Japanese people who cannot speak English will will say things that mirror things they may have picked up from America. And and as you mentioned, you know, it's not an excuse, but it does explain it. Um, but I, I, I do remember asking, actually, when I interviewed um, Kristen McBride, the bassist and band leader, when he was on tour in Japan a couple years ago, um, I asked him about this point. And, and he said that, you know, look, it, it's never acceptable and it, it can be very upsetting. But he has been uh, touring Japan since he was 18 years old. Um, and on the jazz angle, he knows how much the fans love the music. So what he tries to do is, is to, to sort of gently explain to them the sort of cultural meaning behind it when they do say something insensitive or uninformed. Uh, because it generally is not coming from a sense of... You know, any any sort of like you know prejudice. I mean, if you were a, a prejudiced Japanese person, you're probably not a big jazz fan. You're not opening a jazz bar, right? You know. Um, um, so well,
1: yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I think you're right, and and I think what probably anyone who's been listening to the podcast as well will have have picked up certainly from this many episodes now is that you know what underlies this whole culture um, of jazz kisa and jazz bars is. Uh, beyond everything else this deep deep love and reverence for not only the music but the the people who produce it so um there definitely is sometimes that lack of understanding and and of course that goes beyond just japan as well but um and that appreciation of the perhaps the the Cultural struggles and and the the darker side of that history, but and that's not to say that's what everyone thinks. But certainly mm. that can go along with and perhaps the music, uh, you know, gets the spotlight and the other stuff that mm. that's that, that's gone behind it and, and where the, this music has come from can but be. But you, you you give side-lined. you definitely
0: you definitely would give I think like for at Uncle Tom the reason that I would give them the benefit of the doubt is because uh, yes the name has problems for sure um, and yet on the other hand you know she has a whole. A bunch of Max Roach records. You know um, mm-hmm. th- the great teacher Max Roach, who 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 fought yeah. for justice and, and 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 they know the owners know the significance of these albums. They're not just putting it on to groove to. They know what the titles mean. Yeah. Um, and so um, so you you would say that okay you know yeah maybe there's a a, a few things we could talk about, but um, generally um, I I've never doubted any of the any of the owners in terms of their approach to to what the music meant um, in America. And to black American musicians, so um, I think um, well, that, got, le- that
1: got heavy, didn't it? <laughs> That's all right. You know, there's no re- there's no reason to to sidestep these things, and and I think it's all part of the the sort of that kind of complex tapestry of of jazz and these jazz kisser culture and then Japanese culture and all these things that are kind of weaved through through um, all the places that we've been to. I know, just on a lighter note, certainly often going out for lunch. Um, when i was teaching uh certainly you would quite often see her uh midday or around lunchtime out there sweeping the step um you know cleaning that window uh and doing all sorts of um preparation work for the evening so i imagine she either lives in that building or or certainly very close and i think also now it's run by her and a daughter is that right so um, no, no, it's
0: son actually. Last son, time I yes. was there, yeah, I, I um, the the guy who I used to do some recording with at at dot um, producer there. He's a regular and Uncle Tom. So we we went by there for a drink one night, and uh, we were talking with uh, with the son, uh, but she was there. She was there as well. Yeah.
1: But not, not uh, he's helping out rather than, I, I guess, taking it over or perhaps, I don't know, I mean, again, there is this tradition in Japan of the eldest son taking over the family business regardless. My, of.
0: my impression was very much that he will be taking it over. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it wasn't explicitly said, uh, but you know, as you know, sure sh- sh- uh, her age, you know, she's getting up there, um, yeah. and, and yet I think it was pretty clear that, that he would be continuing to run the bar, he would keep it as it is, We'd keep the records um because we had a long talk about jazz he was clearly a jazz fan so you know at least he had the interest um yeah. and it seemed to be implied that you know uh that that, that uh things would stay as they are
1: Well, again, I mean, another bright light, I suppose, in terms of the future of a lot of these places. Mm. Uh, And we don't need to to rehash that again. But certainly it would be great to see uh, Uncle Tom, regardless of whether uh, that name changes or not, which I suppose ideally it would with a a younger Mm. owner. But certainly it would be great to see it uh, persist again in Sanginjaya, a fairly rapidly changing neighborhood uh, where a lot of the old uh, culture and the old uh, style shops and bars are being kind of gradually squeezed out by bigger uh, High Street name, so I mean they're really flying the flag there, and uh, it would be fabulous to see that not only that place, but that enormous record collection uh, behind her preserved. So and the David
0: and the David Murray photograph,
1: I'd love to get the a David copy of that. David Murray photograph, <laughs> yeah. You, you'd be first in line for that one, would you? Oh, for sure. That and the Miles poster from Miles. There we go. I'll put in my um, request. I mean, By no means um, have we covered all the instances of female owners and, of course, uh, in a lot of places, uh, particularly perhaps in more rural settings, um, some of the bars... Uh, or or coffee shops that are attached to houses are quite often run by couples. Uh, probably notably, a uh, Cold Train, Cold Train, which we have mentioned a few times and are, are going to go into in more detail uh, when we cover our Kyushu trip. Uh, the fantastic Soen up in Hokkaido, which again we'll cover on that trip, and then of course uh, the amazing owner of Candy that we we mentioned in a previous episode. Oh, and don't well. forget the
0: um, don't forget the current owner of Jamaica in uh, Sapporo, Jamaica, course, which hosts. Yeah. four... 14,000 jazz records
1: probably the biggest Um, collection we ever saw wasn't it biggest
0: definitely the biggest collection we've seen in one space and uh, the current owner uh, or at least manager is the daughter of the original owner and she is very very young so looks to be running it for at least another 30 or 40 years yeah
1: Mm. yeah so i mean again despite um, perhaps this sort of male dominated world of jazz and certainly uh, male dominated world of jazz kisa in japan there definitely are some um, highlights and that there's definitely some hope there that places are being uh, run, maintained and developed by, by by female owners. And it's fantastic to see. James, um, we'll maybe leave it there for today. It's been a bit of a longer one. It's been a bit of a heavier one, but uh, it's always good to get into some of these Uh, deeper subjects as well Um, oh yeah for
0: sure i mean there's there's so many various subsets of uh things to discuss in 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 this world and uh i mean we only touched a little bit on it it's obviously complex but all right well in the meantime be safe buddy
1: you too take it easy have a good week Uh, and i'll talk to you same time same place next week okay oh
0: don't forget check us out tokyo jazz joints on instagram facebook twitter and of course listen to all the great mixes on kol radio forgot to do my pr man you didn't remind me
1: that's all right i think we've had it enough times already haven't we we need a break (laughs) for a week come on
0: (laughs) talk to you soon
1: bye-bye see you